Welcome to Nerdy Show Book Club. Ah, hello, I am uh, Bookman uh, Cap, and with me are my uh, compatriots, uh, all librarians. Yes, I am the ever-literary Hex. Oh, now I'm going to be put on the fucking spot. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I am the actually used to be a, vo- a volunteer librarian, Luke. Ah, fancy man. I am I am Brandon. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I'm Colin. <laughs> can I be Can I be Sir? Can I be Sir Brandon? Nope, you had your chance. Of of Welshire. You had Welshire. You had your chance, good sir. Yeah, to take it on it to take it on a tangent already. If if um if Cap could could back me up on this, I remember when we would volunteer. Speaking of volunteering at the uh, Renaissance Festival in Deerfield Beach, Florida, we used to be Joust boys. Yes. And when we were Joust boys, what your job was was to get the crowd like all riled <laughs> it was to up. Take and stuff the like lads, all yes. of it. <laughs> yes. And so if you got the crowd riled up, you would get a possible double dehorsing where the mm-hmm. where you know both of the horses, the knights would get thrown off of the horses if you got the crowd like all freaked out and then the horses would get freaked out. It was awesome. Wait, you mean sure. it was staged? N- no. No, it wasn't. the horses no, no, it wasn't would freak out. Well, I thought the better the crowd was doing, they'd be like, "Okay, well, let's give them a show." If, you know? if you uh if the crowd freaks out, the horses are more likely to freak out and the horse if the horses freak out and they go faster than the chances of something really fucked up happening on the field. Why would they want you to do that? Increased because that is the better the greatest show. job I've ever heard. Anyway, all of that was because my name was Sir Thomas of Muffin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, well. You sure can tell a story in a roundabout way. Anyway, uh, you may have noticed that we actually came in on a theme song. How was that, right? Really cool, eh? Yes. I hope so. I'm nodding in affirmation. We have a chiptune rendition of the Reading Rainbow theme song. This is uh, a classic it's by 8-Bit Betty, who is now defunct, but still, this uh, the song is her legacy. It is a phenomenal track. Haha. Well met. All right, guys. So we are really excited to de- be debuting the uh, first full episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. As you may know, uh, Nerdy Show Book Club was a microsode in the past. It was a listener-submitted microsode uh, from Joe Barda, who said, Hey, talk about what books you're reading right now. <clears throat> and we said, Sure. And we all liked it, and you all liked it, and so now it's a regular deal. Yay! Yay. Thanks, Joe I mean, it works out because I think we were all going to read at least another book within the next year anyway. It happens. So. Well, it's Yay. supposed to be monthly, Brandon. We're supposed to read a book. What? How do you finish a book in a month? <laughs> it takes me like two years to finish one book. You know how many books I've read in my life? 
Five. Like ten. The Stand and War and Peace. Two years each. The Stand and War and Peace. <laughs> I think I, I have a hunch that Brandon will answer his own question. I don't read any books that there are movies of. Well, that's a good thing that we've added in a segment later on in this episode where we read excerpts from film adaptations. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke has a real treat in store for you. But I got a weird one. It's going to be great. This particular debut episode, because I guess the other one could be considered an episode zero, just a precursor, is actually uh, double length because we have a special feature. <clears throat> By surprise. Surprise to me. Yeah. Surprise! Uh, we, uh, we found out about an amazing literary project. Amazing! It's called Singularity & Co., and it is a project to resurrect long-forgotten, dusty, musty sci-fi books from the dead and publish them digitally. But don't take our word for it. With us on the line is Ash Kalb, and in the background, Miss Cece James. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's already spiraling into pandemonium. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so uh, Ash and Cece are together. Singularity and Co. They are, I guess, you're becoming a, a company that is going to uh, release and distribute eclectic sci-fi novels that will never otherwise see distribution in the digital format. That's correct. We're, we're something akin to a publishing house. We're, we're figuring out, but uh, we really didn't have a label when we started the project. We just realized there were a lot of great books that we'd like to help get online. Yeah, that's something that I, could, I can really get into. I can really back that up, and, and I've done so with my money via your extremely successful Kickstarter campaign. Thank you. Tell us how you developed this project and really what you're hoping to accomplish with it. I mean, it's obviously here on Nerdy Show, sci-fi, especially like eclectic off-the-beaten-path sci-fi, is something that we can really relate to and really dig. So I want to know how you guys got this started. It's fantastic. Well, you know, uh, we were basically uh, sitting around one night, and I was trying to find a book to read on my Kindle, and uh, I was noticing how many... Um, really bad old sci-fi books there are in Kindle, but how the selection is clearly not in any way comprehensive. So it, it kind of got me thinking about what it is that makes some books available and some books not available. You know, with, within about half an hour or so, we, we kind of talked the idea through and come up with the idea of finding a way to rescue some of, some of these books that are otherwise going to be forgotten if they're, if they're not turned into e-books somehow. And, and that's where the Kickstarter was born. I agree with this because half of the time I turn on my Kindle and I'm trying to look for a really good sci-fi book or novel and I'm just, I can't find anything that I really give a shit about. And then and then you guys are doing this and that's amazing. And soon I'll have great stuff to read, hopefully, on my Kindle. Well, you know, it's, it's going to be great. Some of it will be less than great, but it's all going to be exemplary of the, of the period in which it was written. That's, that's our main goal. Excellent. I mean, we're going to choose what we think is great. Whether or not you think it's great, <laughs> we're not sure. But, you know, we're, we're looking for works that are really... They, they stand out as being about what sci-fi was about at the time when they were written, if that sentence makes any sense. Are you fine? Have you found these books already? Do you have them in your collection? How do you, how do you have such a vast knowledge of all of these sci-fi books to put? Particularly um, eclectic really, ones. Deciding to do this empowered me immediately before we even realized we were going to do a Kickstarter to go out and buy massive quantities of books on eBay, which is where we started. So I, I started bidding on very large, obscure lots of old sci-fi books, often without knowing what was in them. And they started showing up here in our, our apartment and basically taking over uh, a very large corner of it. That's where we started. 
where we've gone from there is to start cataloging all the books that we have. And we're doing that by just simply photographing them, entering them into a, a database program, and then kind of reaching out to the people that we know to see what they think of the titles that we have available. And one really great resource is a guy named Bud Webster, who's actually the estate liaison for the SFWA, which is the Science Fiction Fantasy Writers Association. He's tasked with maintaining a database and contact information for the estates of sci-fi writers who have passed away. So he actually knows how to get in contact with a lot of the people who uh, we're looking for. And he also has a lot of knowledge of the history of the industry and kind of has, has given us some invaluable guidance as to what's good and what's bad. There's also a lot of other people that have chimed in. We even got one of our very first suggestions from Neil Gaiman, who suggested his favorite bad sci-fi book on Twitter. But it, um, it, it, was, it, was a great, it was a great way for us to get started, because if, if people keep chiming in and tell us, telling us what to look for, it helps. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you can't really beat an endorsement from Neil Gaiman, can you? <laughs> no, we, 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 we had uh, Duncan Jones call our project cool. We had Neil Gaiman, an early supporter. Ken McLeod has also been incredibly helpful. Plus, um, a number of other sci-fi authors have, have really reached out and understood what the project is all about. That's really exciting to have that much support. Just a, a random idea that seems to be spiraling in a great project. It's now becoming your life. <laughs> it, it's definitely becoming a large portion of our lives. But, you know, if this ends up being what we do for the next couple of years, I'm certainly not complaining. It's, uh, it's really great that you're doing this because it really takes a loving hand to usher things out of obscurity back into the limelight. I think that uh, I think that everyone who's on board with this project really sees it for what it is. Um, you know, it, it also actually takes quite a bit of manual labor we're figuring out, which <laughs> is not something you think of when, when creating ebooks. But these books actually have to be scanned, you know, a photographed catalog. It's it's a fascinating and all-encompassing project. The way that we found out about you was um, one of our uh, friends of Nerdy Show, who our listeners have maybe seen in some of the videos that we post uh, during E3, Matt Downham is actually designing new cover art for your books. And I was uh, curious about, about that project and uh, what you have in mind for the covers. Well, you know, it's, it was really an incredible offer, and it's, it's kind of exemplary of what's been going on ever since this idea kind of hit the Internet, which is Matt reached out to us actually in reference to that, that not-so-great book that Neil Gaiman suggested to us, which is a book <laughs> called Space Train. And I, I can only describe the, the existing cover to Space Train for you. It's clearly really a, an incredible work of superimposed photography because somebody clearly photographed the tip of their pen and a crab on a piece of glass <laughs> and, and wrote the word Space Train on it. And that's, that's the cover that currently exists for the book. While, while there's a lot of great sci-fi cover art out there and we want to preserve as much of it as possible, what we thought we'd do, what Matt suggested, is also doing modern takes on the covers or modern retro takes on the covers and, and adding something new to them. And what we'd eventually like to do is actually get more people involved and, and let as many people as would like contribute covers to be voted on for the project. But that's a little bit down the road. That's very cool. Because I, I was wondering, one of your most recent updates featured a, a ton of great cover scans of, of stuff. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's really cool that there'll be you know, new covers, but these old ones are so good. We're going to hold on to the old ones as much as humanly possible. Some of the older works don't have covers like, like, the, like the ones that you saw in the latest update. Mm -hmm. So we'll be supplementing them with newer ones. But where, where the old covers still exist, they'll still be there. It may just be, in, you know, in effect, a front cover and a back cover. Now, for listeners who are hearing this, just as we post this episode, there's actually still time to get in on the Kickstarter. At this point, it's all 
going over and well past your goal. But the thing that over 600 people have uh, chipped in on is the $25 donation, which gets you a lifetime subscription to your digital books, which is incredible. <laughs> I think I think that in a large part, the success of the Kickstarter can chalk it up to that deal being too good to pass up. Uh, we, we hope it is. You know, we're, we're going to be releasing the books on a number of platforms as we clear them and turn them into ebooks, but we thought this is a great way for people who support us early to reap the benefits of that. And that, that's the really incredible thing about Kickstarter. It's we already have, we've already achieved financial success for the project. And success, I mean, we, we've managed to pay for the expenses at least. And, and that way we're able to make that commitment to people. It's, it's a really incredible way to be able to start something. Now that you've gone over, though, what are your plans for the extended, uh, I guess, budget you've got now? Well, it really, what, what, the, what the extra budget really helps us do is it helps us speed up. You know, you can throw time at this or you can throw money at it when you're trying to clear a book. Each, each book that we try to clear is, is, in effect, a detective story. We have to go and we have to, for, for the most part, we have to go and we have to track down the authors, their estates, their, you know, their, their third cousin, twice removed occasionally. Hmm. And, and the reason we have to do that is because the books that have clear titles and ownership, well, they're taken care of already. If, if the author is successful, their catalog is being looked after. But for an author who maybe wrote a few books in the 50s, didn't get treated very well by their publisher, and then, you know, forgot about it, that's the person that we're looking for. Those are the books that we're looking to rescue. And because of that, there's, there's a lot of research involved, there's a lot of time involved. There's also filing costs associated with, with bringing the copyrights and all of that. An additional budget basically means that we're secure for the first year of books, and in addition, we can do things more quickly. Now you have, it's on your most recent update, you, you say that you've reached nearly 240% of your original funding goal with over, I mean, obviously you have ni over 900 backers, but if you reach over $45,000, because right now, currently as of this recording, you have 36,000 some odd dollars, what, what will happen at 45,000 if people back it to that point? Uh, you know, we, we've been crunching numbers. We've actually gone through the process of creating a couple of e-books from old books already and we're we're very confident that if we reach the forty five thousand dollar goal that we've added today that we'll be able to deliver deliver not twelve books in the first twelve months but eighteen books in the first twelve months. I'm, I'm hesitant to say, you know, it, I'm hesitant to give an, an exact schedule for that because it'll probably be more books towards the end, but we're we're definitely willing to make that additional commitment and the people who uh become ten dollar supporters will get eighteen books instead of twelve and the people who become twenty five dollar supporters will get more books more quickly. It's very exciting. You know, it's, it's just, it's all a vote of confidence and uh, of support for the entire project. It's incredible. Yeah, that is really exciting. I was wondering, something you've uh, mentioned in the updates, I, I believe you're saying that there's a Singularity and Company shop opening up, like a real-world storefront? Well, that's, that's kind of where this whole thing began. TC and I have often talked about what our ideal work environment is, and the goal was always to open a bookshop. We've been talking about opening a bookshop for a very long time, and, and the key to our ability to open a bookshop is that it doesn't have to actually pay its own rent, because we, we both run successful businesses from our current office. So our plan is to move our office to Dumbo, open an actual storefront sci-fi bookshop, which will be New York's only dedicated sci-fi bookshop, and, and kind of create a destination for all of the people and the community that supported this project so much. Wow. How many dedicated sci-fi bookshops in the world are there to begin with? We, we know of one in San Francisco. Um, you know, there's Forbidden Planet here in New York, which is a, a great comic book shop, but they've only got two shelves of sci-fi books. 
Not um, nearly the same as an entire be, shop, no. <laughs> but the, the, the trick here being that I, I doubt a sci-fi bookshop could actually sustain itself financially. Right. But if we're already paying the rent of an office, it might as well be a bookshop too. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, it, especially when you're basically you're investing in the digital age and you're investing in the new mediums, but then also you have a storefront bookshop. As a fa- as a big fan of of musty pages and uh, strange bookstores go, like I like that you can play both you know sides on that. That's very cool. Yeah, we we actually haven't had anybody go for what I think is the coolest reward in this Kickstarter campaign, which is at the highest pledge level, we'll actually give somebody a key to the bookshop and they can you know treat it as their own. <laughs> but, um, we, we've had a whole we've had a number of people go for what we we've offered in the main in, in kind of the middle between ebooks and owning the bookshop with us, which we've offered uh, lending library privileges in the bookshop, and there's, there's a couple of people that have gone for that. So they'll be able to come in and yank the bookshop books off the shelves at will as long as they promise to bring them back. Wow. Do you have an idea of, uh, I mean, you said that you were tentative, but do you have any idea as to when do you think you'll release your first ebook? I guess it'll be within 45 to 60 days, probably faster. We, we've, we've, gone through, we've gone all the way down the road on two books already, but I'm still working on clearing those books. They'll probably show up a little bit later in the rotation. On the flip side, there are a couple of books that we know we can publish, but we haven't actually spanned them yet. There's, there's some infrastructure stuff that we have to do, like actually create a website that's capable of delivering this stuff to all of our subscribers also. <laughs> right. But, but we, we've got some people working on that with us, so I'm guessing 45 to 60 days. Are you in any kind of position to reveal what some of your first titles will be, or have that not, has that not been signed off on yet? I, I'll be in a position later this week to post a list from which the first titles will come, which oh. I know isn't I know isn't a great answer, <laughs> but I'll tell you what I've done so far, which is get a, a couple of times, which is get really, really, really excited about a book, and then realize it's it's already available. <laughs> so, so the first thing I got to do is is actually vet a list of books that are that, that need our help. Okay, so by the time you guys listen to this, we should hopefully have a link to where you can see the list of the first tentative books to be released. Um, and, and what that'll be is that'll be the list that our users will be able to vote up or down in our polling system for earlier ebooking treatment. Very cool, very, very cool. One last question. I was wondering if you recall the first sci-fi book you ever read. <laughs> you know, wow. Uh, it was probably one of the Heinlein juveniles because my dad had them on a shelf growing up, and those are kind of like boy's life type books. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd love to be able to tell you it's Rocket Ship Galileo, but the first sci-fi book that like I really loved was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If that helps. Yeah, that's a good starting point. It's a very good <laughs> well, starting it, it point. Well, it definitely aired my brain the way that it's wired, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So before we go, when when is the Kickstarter completed? Essentially. Uh, there are, le- there are uh, just under five days to go. The deadline is around 4 p.m. on the 2nd of next month. April 2nd, 2012, around 4 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> That's your last chance to uh, to invest in this incredible project and to get yourself a uh, lifetime subscription to amazing, eclectic digital copies of science fiction novels for life. Or you'll, more. You'll be able to get them otherwise, but you probably won't be able to get a deal this good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly that well thanks so much ash it's really my pleasure yeah it's, i'm really looking forward to this project well we, we really are are just we're, we're blown away by the support that we've received from the community and, and by the number of people that just understand how fundamentally good an idea this is you know the, the great tragedy is that a lot of these books contain a concept like an ebook and yet 
without a project like this, they'll never be evil. <laughs> uh, that's actually funny. We appreciate all the support. So remember, guys, um, if you're hearing this uh, concurrent with this episode's original posting, you've got a few days to get in on that lifetime subscription plan. Uh, and if not, then you can head over to Singularity & Co.'s website and pick up any of their amazing digital reproductions from now until forever. Forever. But we'll have a link to the Kickstarter on this episode's page. We'll I have a, a link to everything. Also, on a side note, I have a freezer full of reproductions. Just letting you know that. And anyone can come by and pick them up. Because they're taking up space in our freezer. You know what I'm talking about, Hex and Cap. Yes, I... I possibly I... Colin. Luke doesn't know, though. I never went in the fridge and thank God. <laughs> I don't really know what your sperm collection has to do with this particular episode, but... The word reproduction, it just... It sets me off. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> He's got to go make it a de- another deposit in the refrigerator. Hold on. <laughs> I'm starting my own sperm bank, and therefore I need to do a Kickstarter as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's called There's Not Enough of Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm sure my freezer's cold enough. Anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, uh, Hex, you got a song? I do. So, since that, the, the whole Singularity and Co. project is all about a forgotten science fiction, I wanted to bring in a song that's about almost forgotten science. There's this uh, poor little thing that used to be a planet that isn't anymore. Uh, um, did it get turned into a Kuiper Belt object? Yeah. Well, not a Kuiper Belt object. Is it a Kuiper Belt object? Uh-huh. Oh, poor Wait, Pluto. Wait, no, no. I know what you guys are about to talk about, but you're talking about Pluto, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, guess what? What? Pluto, Pluto is is the first. Oh, God. What it, the what first it? of the Plutoids. Oh, no. Yeah, the... Uh, Wait, what? What the hell is a Plutoid? It's actually... The, the, the technical term it. is a dwarf planet. It's not a uh, object so, of the hyperbell. So it's a planet again. No, it's a it's dwarf a du- planet. It's a dwarf... What the hell does that mean? It still has a planet in the Snow White's gonna get her dumbass lost over there. <laughs> Go hang out on the dwarf planet. Well, the thing is, they were finding other uh, Pluto-sized objects over there, and they're starting they're to called, go, well, are they all gonna have to be... They're called asteroids. <laughs> The frozen balls of shit in space, of dirt and, and liquids, and then they just, they go everywhere. No, it's, a, it was... it's a trans-Neptunian dwarf planet, so anything that's a trans-Neptunian dwarf planet has been named after Pluto. So now everything, huh. there's going to be more than one Pluto, basically. So there's, they're Plutoids, eh? Plutoids, yes. Plutoids. Well, anyways, the track is for Pluto. Okay. And it's by Adam Warrock, oh. our good pal. Well, I'll just have to take his word for it. Much living on the outskirts of town where I grew up And I never really made a sound All the kids would play around Though they stayed as quiet as they spun around like tops And we lived in darkness and plotted out a course And we dreamed like satellites with centripetal force And I was never really sure why I didn't fit in Thought maybe 
baby, it's my size or the color of my skin. And it transposed itself to my caliber within. And I felt like I was all alone, just drifting in the dark. But stars and proximity told me to stop. Even though I knew that I was just a chunk of rock with a little hip hop mixed with punk rock. Baby, I can be your planet or whatever you want. And when the sun goes down, it's my turn to shine. Stay in the dark, baby, turn out the lights. Cause when we close together, just you and I, sometimes your eyes look like the night. Towards the heaven where the stars reside Sometimes I know I got my head in the sky With both feet on the ground Cause I'm telling you why You're saying that there's eight But I'm saying there's nine And the scientific research didn't tell a lie When they redefined your soul And they took away your pride But they couldn't change your name Or do a damn thing And still I see you shine When I look in the sky And I know nights are dark When you feel all alone And I don't know the way your heart feels So far from home So far unknown When you're stuck in the cold But you still reflect the sun Steady do what you're told Yeah Good soldier Nights will get colder Cats will stay sober Get the cold shoulder And you don't need a label Do your own promotion People see a glimmer Like wherever you go So Just be glad that someone On earth holds a vigil And everyone who's saying Otherwise stay civil Cause they don't know The places and the things That you've seen So float past the path Keep doing your thing know And when I the mean. sun goes down It's my turn to shine Stay in the dark Baby turn out the lights Cause when we close together Just you and I Sometimes your eyes Look like the night line And I drift towards the heaven Where the stars reside Sometimes I know I got my head in the sky With both feet on the ground The streets of a city with its better days Passing by a man with his history spread across his face Just like the cracks in the pavements No one's safe in the system Still I listen cause the station's just a mile away There's people coming and going straight with no direction Like ships lost in a fog off and we all scream for attention But here I am, just a stranger in a crowd in my home Still so familiar, but now I'm unknown I've seen buildings simply start from dust Broke the ground and built it up Decades washed the dirt and rust One day watched it boarded up And now they tear it down so they can start all over again Until the old timers point and say remember when I pass a buck or two wondering if I'm stuck here too Life patterns a cycle like soul samples that thump for loops But still I promise you nothing is like the honest truth Home is bittersweet in the streets you call me Thomas Wolfe So float on Adam Warrock Well, welcome back from that scientific song. You, you know, uh, since I asked Ash that question, I was wondering if maybe, and hopefully it's not too long an answer, but I was wondering if everybody else remembers the first sci-fi novel they ever read. Oh, God. Oh, geez. It, you know what? It, it's similar. I probably, the first true sci-fi novel I read was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. Because it was, it was very accessible and it was available to me and I could get it anywhere. So that's why. Actually, the first the first uh, uh, science fiction novel that I read was actually by Isaac Asimov. It was called Norby the Mixed Up Robot. <laughs> did he write a children's book? He did. He and it's actually a series. Wow! About, about this this mixed up this mixed up robot and how the adventures that he has with his you know companion and where they go and you know the you know the various things that they go through and that's by Isaac Asimov and it's actually really good. Well, well, I'll be fucked. <laughs> but don't take our word for it. <laughs> oh, damn it. 
Oh, damn it. It's not by Isaac Asimov. It's by Janet Asimov. Oh. That's the craziest Asimov. Who's, who's, Wait, it's by Janet and Isaac Asimov. So they were, they were, they were, they piled up on it. Oh, they tag teamed it. They did. Okay. How about you, Luke? And looking back, I believe my first sci-fi novel was a, a young adult book by Bruce Koval called Aliens Ate My Homework. <laughs> that was uh, surprisingly great. I thought it was great because it had the word damn in it at one point. <laughs> uh, Scandalous. But it's a, it, wow. it's a, indeed about a group of tiny, tiny aliens who came to Earth, uh, started using a kid's homework to make a little paper mache shelter for them. And then their little other tiny enemy comes and they have to fight him. And there was cool um, interdimensional stuff in there. I really, I think I'm going to read it again. It sounds easily like, make I it think horrific. I read that epic. book. This sounds like a Pixar movie. It could be a, it could be a fantastic Pixar movie, and I hope they keep the word "damn" in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only requirement. <clears throat> yes. I remember reading a book series called "My Teacher Is an Alien," and then the second one was "My Teacher Glows in the Dark." You know, I remember seeing those books and going, "No." They were actually pretty <laughs> good. Were they? Yeah. Were they as good as Goosebumps? <laughs> no, they weren't. I mean, like that's 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 a hard that's a high bar to put up because Goosebumps was like really good. Oh yes, yeah, I guess Goosebumps. Oh, hold up, hold up. <laughs> really, I love Goosebumps. Growing good. Up. I love okay, Goosebumps. Growing check up. this out. I read every single. I read and bought with my own money. I believe every single Goosebumps book from one to about twenty five or so, maybe even thirty. I think I was there with you on that one. Yeah. But there were only the first five were good. The rest were all garbage. Oh, some of them were okay. Some I of them, about there were some words. good ones in there. And really, it was just the first three. Five is gen- be- me being generous. Oh, come on. What about the giant hamster that, like, you know, takes over and, like, terrorizes the No, the giant hamster was pretty bad. Oh. <laughs> I like the one where he was in a comic book and he had to fight as a superhero. I like- that was a Sega game. <laughs> <laughs> but don't take our word for it. Oh, <laughs> the coolest thing about the superhero one, which is called Attack of the Mutant, was that when they finally got when they got around to doing the um, Fox Kids television show, Adam West played that character oh, in the episode. Oh wow! How do you no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute, Cap. You don't have anything like sitting in front of you that's able to you know no, tell you that he is least. not. This is this is all off the top of his head. Can you name the all the all the Goosebump books? Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> nope, nobody can do that. But the first three are Welcome to Dead House. <laughs> um, shit, I can't, you know what? I, I, I fucked up already. The second one was the plant one, and it was easily the coolest one. The, yeah, agreed. Uh, but I cannot remember for life me what it was called. You no, know, I read those before the the par- the teacher book. Would those be? There's some of those have sci-fi elements. They're not sci-fi though, really. They're not science fiction. Yeah. Unless there was radiation involved. In, in, fact, in fact, many of them are. I mean, they're, they're really just. In most cases, Stupid. just weird, weird, morbid fantasies yeah. more than anything. Uh, yeah. And the third one was Stay Cheese and Die. R.L. R. Stein wrote the first three uh, kind of all at once as a project, didn't think he was going to do anymore, and they got really successful. So then, And he was like, money, I, I think the ghostwriting happened almost immediately. That's just a hunch. I don't know. <laughs> but that could be why they're so fucking inconsistent. His Twitter is pretty amusing, and he has the subtitle of I Scare Children for a Living. <laughs> <laughs> so does Brandon. You know, it, it's But funny. don't take it's, our word for it. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, because I read at least one or two Goosebumps books, and I didn't find them scary. I think I could write a great, morbid children's uh, story right now, even, and it would be great. It would be amazing. I wish you would. It would be my morbid fantasies. I would love to read that. I'm gonna write oh, a oh, book. Oh, Cap, you're wrong. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Stay Out of the Basement was the second one. 
Monster Blood was the third one. Okay, okay, hold on I a think... second. That's <laughs> why no, are we having this discussion? I know this is this is this is terrible. This was not supposed to happen. But I mean that is that is just plain not true. <laughs> That's what Wikipedia said. Wikipedia said that it's... Monster Blood comes out in September 1992. Say Cheese and Die came out in November. You fucked up. I, the no, the ac- I don't know about the release dates, but the actual numbering of the books, one, two, and three, <clears throat> Welcome mm. to Dead House, the one about the dad turning into a plant, and Say Cheese and Die, one, two, and three. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Because then, then it's the curse of the mummy's tomb, Let's Get Invisible, Night of the Living Dummy. I like Night of the Living Dummy. <sighs> We can't nightmare the girl who cried monster and the ghost next door with the first 10. And then the haunted mass was 11. That was good too. Yeah, that was a really good one. <sighs> All right. So back on the sci fi thing. It's not just um, the top five. Uh, haunted mask. Who else hasn't gone? Everybody gone? Except me? Yeah, yeah. go. Okay. Uh, I I guess the, the first sci fi novel I started reading was the first Timothy Zahn Star Wars novel, I think. I'm not really sure about the coincidence of events, but I did not finished that as a kid so i'd say the first thing i read on my own was a wrinkle in time by madeline liangle Ooh, i remember that that was which good. if you haven't read it as an adult is fucking great just go ahead and read it you'll get through it real quick and you'll be like god damn but don't take our word for it let me ask you a question does the magic school bus count as science fiction because i may have i may have read those way before hitchhiker's guide Way before. You know like, what? It, like, required in sure. school. Okay. It's better than Goosebumps. I will have to readdress my answer. It was Magic School yeah. Bus. I mean, it's a bus. Well, okay. and sometimes well, they go into space. Sometimes they bit. go into the blood Those stream. are not novels. <laughs> you just said book. You didn't say novel. Yeah, I mean, like, the I first know. one I read. I mean, otherwise, yeah, it was going to be some Star Wars. I may have said novel. Well, if but, it was novel, then yes, Hitchhiker's Guide. Okay. Yeah, if it's That's novel, then it's, it's it's probably one of the, the Star Wars knockoffs of, like, Tales from Jabba's Palace or something like that. <laughs> That was a good book. That was a good one. Shadow of the Empire. Shadow of the... I didn't read Shadow of the Empire. All the Tales books. Tales of Jabba's Palace, Tales of the Cantina, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. I Great. love Tales of the Bounty That's why Dengar's my favorite bounty hunter. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you just have a bonding I, I, moment we, we over did. Dengar? Let's, let's yeah. not spiral this into okay. a Star Wars conversation, please. <laughs> so... No, that, but that is that has that book has the official where Boba Fett came from for me. No. Boba Fett. Boba Fett's a clone... <laughs> Where? Uh, some douchey Okay, shut guy. up. Okay. We're moving on. So, what are we reading, Colin? Oh, uh, oh, I guess I'm first. Well, uh, currently, well, what I read previously was uh, the first book in the Wheel of Time series. Ooh, I've been meaning to check that out. Okay. Is that the well, sequel to the Wheel of Fortune? No. <laughs> okay. Here, here's the deal. Before you, before you start it, okay. um, the, 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 this book, and it actually took me a really, really really long time to read it because it was like around 700 pages long was the eye of the world it was the wheel of the time it was the first wheel of time book because my my father-in-law gave it to me for christmas a long time ago and i figured i have to read it so (laughs) (laughs) so so i'm reading it and i'm reading it and i'm reading it and i'm like many 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 pages into it so before you read it hex let me let me give you let me give you my synopsis about the book without totally giving everything away okay Basically, the way this book is, it's Robert Jordan wrote it. Right. And it's not finished yet. It's like there's 14 some odd books in this series. And it is like it and it's not even finished. And the guys and Robert Jordan's dead. Yeah, I remember being told back in high school by some of my close friends that I was supposed to read the series and I still have yet to touch it. Yeah. So I'm reading this book. And as I'm reading it, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. And as I'm reading this book, I'm going, wait a minute. 
What the shit? This book is an exact ripoff, basically, of The Lord of the Rings. I mean, this was written in 1990, this book. I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, I'm sure. But this book was written in 1990. <clears throat> you know, Tolkien re- re- wrote uh, Lord of the Rings significantly earlier than that. But basically, <laughs> it's a- just by a little bit. Like about 100 <laughs> years or so, just, yeah. you know, just a, a couple years before. Yeah. So basically, it's, a, it's basically about this 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 town, uh, this 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 town where these these three. Well, actually, there's a bunch of bunch of kids are in this town, and or the um, shire, so to speak. Yes, a, a shire, so to speak, <laughs> where these outsiders come in, and then decide that it they need to then leave because they are possibly the chosen ones. They have these creatures called the Midragoral. We'll just call them Nazgul. We'll just call them Nazgul. Okay, okay, we'll just call them Nazgul. um, Who are chasing after them? They're basically like um, dark creatures who are on 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 horseback. Okay. Um, They are shrouded in in black cloak. They have swords. Uh huh. And they and they are chasing after them. And they actually cross a river. With they cross a river, and the river ends up getting fucked up by, I've seen by this magic. Movie. Wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen this movie. It was, yes, uh, I've seen this movie too. It was Lord of the so, Rings. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of this stuff kind of happens. You know, there's there's magic. They don't trust the people who have magic, etc., etc., etc. They then end up having to go on this huge quest and there's you know there's all there's this dark power that's building in the in this place called the the dark power lives in a place called mount doom (laughs) mountains of doom they just gave up they just gave up at that point face palmed yes the mountains of doom but doom is spelled d-h-o-o-m okay that's that's different that's just pulling we a Star Wars. Legally distinct from. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, they're trying to, you know, this chosen one, Rand, can uh, basically like he has the power to he can harness the the power and uh, basically magic and can defeat the you know the bad guy who comes to visit him in his in his dreams, Bialzaman. And it's you know there's a Trolloc army that Trollocs are the name of these so like basically orc creatures. Seven hundred pages of blow by blow the plot structure of lord of the rings yes. go fuck yourself robert jordan it's, it's, uh, no, it's, why were my friends in high school so really obsessed with it had they read lord of the rings yes okay yeah is, I, don't, I, I, don't, I guess i was friends with idiots is, in high school is the language dumped down like is no, 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 no the language is good i mean it's 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 relatively well written the problem that i have with it is it's just that it it so follows the formula of lord of the rings i mean it is the hero's journey but it's just like it's so for it's so 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 follows lord it borrows so many elements of lord of the rings that i just can't Mount doom you don't over. say that's that's borrowing from lord of the rings yeah i would just rather read Lord of the Rings than this. Yeah, you know, and people rag on Willow for being too similar to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no. I haven't read the other books. You know, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> Let me know when you get to the, the Twin Towers. Because it took me two King. months to read this book. I mean, it's it's 800 pages, you know, 700 pages. It took me a really long time to read it. And I don't know if I want to dedicate that much time to read that much more about this story. I mean, the, it, it's very interesting, but I would probably rather read the cliff notes. Well, in the next the one, they go into space and there's an evil empire... And there's this giant space station that they have to blow up. So uh, called, that's in the called, second one. Called the Murder Star. Yeah, it's the Murder Star. Death Star. <laughs> Death Star. And it's ran by this guy all in black named Darth Bad Guy. And he uses uh, magic as well, but they call it the Force. The Farce. Yeah. Just shut up. 
But the, it's very, I mean, like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it. I mean, it obviously, within 700 pages, you're going to have a very interesting world, but it's it's so similar. I think I you only find it interesting because you don't, you, like, dedicated so much time to reading those pages that you just, like, that's all you did. You knew about that world, so you found it interesting. But I don't think you really find it interesting. Yeah, you're probably right. However, <laughs> I do have to say, I do have to say, looking looking at this, there's, there's... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm just reading. I'm just reading, like, because I was reminding myself on Wikipedia, and so like the world was created by an Ace Sedai who sacrificed themselves to create a pool of Sidin untouched by the Dark One's taint. <laughs> oh, hey. I want to see a world touched by the Dark One's taint <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> it can't smell good. <laughs> well, so, Colin, thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> uh, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a. I'll give it a mo- uh, like a. It's like a, a not shrug. full give thumbs shrug. down. I mean, it's a blatant copy. It's a hundred percent blatant copy. They were just it's like not, change a few not, things here and there. It's not a hundred percent. I'd say it's. I'd say it's seventy six percent bar. Here's my question: uh, Are the pages peppered with songs that really just kind of slow everything down? That <laughs> you shut up. Those songs have purpose. <laughs> to make me take a nap. <laughs> wow, if the musician if the musician is the one lamenting the songs, that says something. Wow. I know you want to be a poet, J.R.R., but jeez. Because I know when I got to Indent, I'm like, ooh, cool, time to skip three pages. <laughs> you don't want to hear about shipping nope. the plates? And nope. Okay, the, the Hobbit songs are a different story. Yeah, the Hobbit songs are a different story. Because the Hobbit does something that I think the Lord of the Rings never does, which is get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's true it oh yeah I'll crap on Lord of the Rings let's oh, do shit. this we're getting serious <laughs> we got literary episode. seriousness right here but <laughs> <laughs> so I read the Wheel of Time uh, but don't take my word for it okay <laughs> <laughs> Brandon what are you reading I am currently reading two books two books because I don't have much free time that looks like eight <clears throat> books right there no okay <laughs> Book book one is for when I have free time at work. <laughs> You're like ha- already halfway through that. There's you, know, you can see there's like there's a demon on the front. You, yeah, you at home can't, no words, can't see it. There's just a demon's face. Well, on the side it says Book of Cain. You're like, oh, is this some biblical shit? No, no. This is the book written by Deckard Cain from the Diablo series. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Badass, right? Okay. <laughs> it's his journal. It's his accounts of all the shit he's been through. It's notes on enemies, places in sanctuary. If you are a fan of Diablo, it is fucking badass. And it is badass. Yep. Oh, yep. and it's not it. just an art book. There are legitimate words on page. <laughs> no, they're, they're legitimate. Yeah, and you know I have trouble with words and, on pages. And illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, unless, unless it's about birds, I have great difficulty reading uh, words. <laughs> uh, which brings me to the next book that I'm reading. Let me, let me grab it. Hold on. This is the other seven books. It weighs books. about 20 pounds. Um, just oh, pl- yeah. just pl- plop yeah. it right here. Hold plop on. it right what? here. Whoa. Okay. Um, you at home could feel that. When, when I have some downtime at home, uh, what I've been trying to read is this book called Avian Medicine, Principles and Applications. It's just 1,400 pages of good old-fashioned bird knowledge, good, good bird know-how. You know, you want to know why your bird's sick or his, his, his pooter's crusty? You can find out... <laughs> You can find out in this book. It tells you, you know, what's wrong with it, how to cure it, what the hell that cure is, how to pronounce it, what's that bacteria you just found coming out of his cooter. You don't know, but it'll tell you the name of it and what it looks like. You want to do surgery on your bird? It tells you step for step how to do that. Or burgery. Burgery. Uh, burgery. Uh, it's got bird law. I mean, I mean, it's got everything you want. Bird it's got. Law? 
Yeah, you want like it's like the the code of Hammurabi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is essentially a codex for bird knobs. Look, look at all these pictures. Oh. You want you want to know what internal organs look those like of birds? Trails. Those are those are internal organs. You want to know what diseases look like for birds? Everything, everything. When I say everything, X-rays. I mean fucking everything. Yeah, I'm gonna um, need you to show me, send me a picture of the entry under Krusty Pooter. I, it's an, that's a medical term, uh, Krusty Pooter. You can Wikipedia so we'll, we'll it. We'll I would probably have... be debuting the Brandon's new segment, Bird Knowledge with Brandon, <laughs> or, or you just just ask some bird questions and Brandon will I mean, answer it. If you've ever wanted to learn about birds, this is this is a great book to read. But you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, I was smiling really poorly there. If you couldn't you couldn't <clears throat> see it at home, but I'm getting old. I'm getting tired of this skit. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Luke, what are you reading? I am rereading my favorite fantasy-ish kind of sci-fi series called The Amber Chronicles by Roger Zelazny. And uh, also just comp- just finished rereading his book, Lord of Light, which is this awesome, let's see, sci-fi story told about it's the survivors of a ship had left Earth, had crashed on a planet, and the crew who had access to advanced technology turned themselves into a sort of Parallels, uh, parallels to the uh, Hindu pantheon, oh. and uh, ha- and sort of develop their powers along those lines. So there's a Kubera and an Agni, Lord of Fire, and even if you don't know the Hindu pantheon, which I don't, it's really interesting, <laughs> and it's and it's written in this uh, kind of uh, archaic style in some of them, which is occasionally broken with very witty and cynical dialogue, which is typical to Zelazny. Oh, but the the protagonist of of Lord of Light is a man named Sam, who is. Who, who has decided that because the, the gods, quote, have, have uh, had sort of a totalitarian rule over everyone else who they keep in a medieval state, uh, he started up Buddhism as, as a sort of way to foment revolution against them, and the story follows him. Hmm. But, no, that's but, Wow, yeah, that's, that's some complex <laughs> plots. That sounds really super neat. Yeah. The first it's book a, I've it's heard actually today like. a, they put a bunch of short stories written in this world about this character together under one title, so it's, it's not hard to follow when you read it. And it's it's a, a small even though there's a lot of characters that get mentioned the core char- set of characters is pretty small and you get used to them and they're really likable. It's hard not to like Zelazny characters, even though they're normally really flawed and kind of assholes. <laughs> I like them already. <laughs> Which is the main character of uh, of the Amber Chronicles, who is Corwin. Oh geez, I don't even know how to explain the Amber Chronicles without spoilering. Well, it's just ten read, books. Can so you I can read the, uh, the first book. just read the back of the book? The little you know when they have a little thing on the back that describes it. Okay, that would spoil it right there. Uh, Corwin is the prince of, of Amber, which is the one true city, and all other cities are reflections of it, which is basically the – it's Zelazny exploring multidimensionalism kind of thing Whoa. where uh, all, the, all the royal family of this city of Amber can travel through what they call shadow, which by uh, kind of – they imagine things and the world changes around, the, around them as they move. So they can go to anywhere that they can imagine. Corwin went to his own version of Avalon and, and hung out with King Arthur and such. And also, uh, some of them always seem to end up on our version of Earth, of course. And that's where you join Corwin. He is—he has no memory. He wakes up in a mental hospital, fights his way out, and, and talks his way out. And then you follow him putting his memory back together and then making a bid to control Amber. That's pretty cool. Stuff. It sounds yeah, like it I sounds, could read sounds, that. Sounds pretty sweet. Oh, by the way, links to all the books we discuss in the link section for this episode. So if you want to check these out, click the link. It'll take you to the Amazon page. And, you know, for everything you buy, we get, like, pocket change. Yay, pocket change. You know, if you're planning on getting anyway, why the hell not, right? uh, Sorry to interrupt, Luke. Is that basically the gist of it? It is, but you don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I am reading by our good pal Brian Clevenger. 
the traitor and the monk. He uh, just recently started up a website called superexplosive.com. And the point of that website is to put up prose, which is separate from all of his web comicry, so or or actual comicry. So it's it's uh, not really related to Atomic Robo or anything that's going on over at Nuclear Power, such as Warbot and Accounting or How I Killed Your Master. This is something completely different, and it is a interesting story that falls under the Wu Xie uh, genre of books what does that mean that is martial arts stories like the following the story of the kind of uh martial arts master like uh like infinite kung fu mm. would fall under wuxie and so kind of brian's like the author that inspired brian to kind of want to experiment with this was uh gu long who was a uh kind of renowned author and so in this story uh we have we just come across this character this quote-unquote barbarian from the north named uh, a general Zhang Shen, who's a he's p- picked up the title of traitor because he apparently abandoned his troops while attacking the uh, the Jin Palace and has since then been on the run. So there's bounty hunters chasing after him and uh, another main character, Most Observant Eagle, who is a uh, Jin investigator, is on the search for them. And like with all characters in a uh, Wuxie story, they are all badasses in combat, Zheng Shen, pretty badass with a glaive. It's a pole arm with a... Oh, re- we all know what a glaive is. Not a- <laughs> and I, uh, too, am sometimes a gin inspector. <laughs> Investigator. Investigate. I investigate the hell out of my gin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most observant eagle fights with this fishing rod that is just sitting there innocent as a fishing rod until he just, without even being able to see his movements, he changes it into a whip or a bow and arrow and uh, unleashes hell upon any that oppose him. Zhang Shen runs across Gu Feng, who is a drunk monk. And he uh, he pretty much, his, his combat style is drunken boxing. And uh, so he walks around with this cart filled with all kinds of wine. It's So far, it's uh, it's been a really good read. There's ten installations and... Uh, and it's basically ongoing like a webcomic series would be, except it happens to be prose, right? Right. And so, like, three chapters are already out there for you to check out over at superexplosive.com. And I'm enjoying it. It's a fun read. And hopefully I'll have an actual book to, <laughs> to review uh, next time. I'm actually upset that he got the domain name superexplosive.com because I had an idea that I was going to do with that website. Completely different. You could imagine what I would do with the title, Super Explosive. That was going to be the name of your sperm bank? No, Super Explosive. <laughs> <laughs> it was, was going to be my live explosive diarrhea cam, superexplosive.com. I knew, I knew it was going to end in poop. I knew it. I'm just uh, saying, I do it enough, put a cam in there, make a website. But I'm, he took pretty, it, I'm pretty disgusted. Watch poop. I'm pretty disgusted by that idea, but don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys. Yeah, Cap, what have you been reading? Since, since Longest we, for last. Since we last did a recording, uh, I finished John D. McDonald's A Deadly Shade of Gold. That book was amazing, and you know we, we talked in depth about the Travis McGee series, which that's part of in the previous episode. And uh, this was like a two-in-one deal. Man, by the time I... When I, when I did that, uh, that little report on it in the episode, I had no clue... How good it was. It's the best one I've read so far. And it was hard as hell for me to not read the follow-up book immediately after One Fearful Yellow Eye. I haven't cracked it yet. I really want to. But I figured if Nerdy Show Book Club was just going to be anything other than me going through the Travis McGee series and attempting not to spoil <laughs> things, uh, I should try to mix it up a little bit. So I did. And what I've been reading and I'm in the middle of right now is Mr. Funny Pants. 
A Memoir of False Starts by Michael Showalter. Now, if you know Michael Showalter's name, it's because he is a comedian and a very good one. Uh, he's part of, well, he was part of MTV's The State hmm. variety comedy show from the early 90s, which was uh, pretty awesome. And uh, then he went on to also be in Stella with David Wayne and Michael Ian Black. You may have seen him in Wet Hot American Summer. He's really great. I, I love him, and he's adorable. So um, his his comedy album, uh, Sandwiches and Cats, is actually my favorite stand-up comedy album, which also has music in it, uh, that I've ever heard. Because I, I really, like, I have a, a weird relationship with stand-up in that some people tell good jokes sometimes, but all in all, I don't really like it, and I don't see the point in buying stand-up albums. Oh, we're going to fight. Uh, <laughs> well, but don't worry, we have a whole microsode for that battle. Luke, don't take his oh, word yeah, for that's it. We're gonna fight. <laughs> this comedy album was infinitely re-listenable. Maybe it was because there were songs in it as well, but I loved it. I love listening to it over and over and over again. Whereas his compatriot, Michael Ian Black's comedy album, I listened to it a couple times and I was done with it. And you I just alienated a fan of the show, by the way, because he listens all the time. Well, Michael, <laughs> I invite you to come over to my house for sandwiches and cats. And uh, we can talk about how Mr. Showalter is uh, underappreciated and funny, and that's okay. You know what? That that's okay because uh, I'll just you know get some hipster cred here and, and like him more than you. But don't take our word for it. <laughs> however, however, Mr. Funny Pants is not particularly good. Um, Wait, it's not good. It, but everything I've read out of it is amazing. That's because I've been showing you all the best parts. But isn't this um, book just a collection of everything he's written since he was like a young child? This book is a collection of, of many things, but it's mostly <clears throat> Michael Showalter desperately trying to write a book. And many, many, many excerpts from it are all about him attempting to write a book. Him starting to write a book, his girlfriend interrupting him, showing him a, a, what the cat's doing. And <laughs> while that's, that's funny in a kind of premise, reading it for 50 pages is hard. It, it really does take at least 50 pages to get into it. And you, every now and then you'll laugh and something cool will happen. It'll tell you about, he has a, a bit where he reprints an essay he wrote called uh, Taking Ecstasy and Peeing on Myself. And, and that's great. But, but he actually has his book, he, he published his book proposals and his correspondences with his editor. And it's really fucking dry and not particularly funny. And like, but if you love Michael Showalter, you will sit through it because eventually you do get to some good parts and some really unusual things. <clears throat> it's just, I know that he's got a lot of insecurities as a person. He's he's walking. You know this personally. Well, he's he's uh, he, at uh, like a couple years ago at Pitchfork Music Festival. He was doing a show and he just got really angry at himself and then at his fans and walked off on stage and had some kind of mental breakdown. Like he's just adorable, but also <laughs> very neurotic, and uh, and a little down on himself, I think. And and I think he was trying too hard to like make a joke out of writing a book that he did the first mistake of like a a young writer can do in writing is. Writing about writing. No one fucking wants to read that. It's a, it's a mistake. I you thought he never would think do it. it would be funny if he did that. But, but I don't think it worked. But his editor should have, like, said, oh, well, uh, okay, it's okay for, you know, us to... I'm just going to discard all this. You just keep working on it and get to the good stuff. Which does happen as you work your way through it. Are you going to read us an excerpt? Uh, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to have him read you an excerpt. <laughs> um, now there, there's, but before I do that, there's there's lots of there's lots of really good parts. Uh, some of the best parts actually ended up as comedy routines on his album Sandwiches and Cats. I would greatly recommend Sandwiches and Cats over Mr. Funny Pants because it's funnier when he delivers it. Uh, however, there's things that can't be done on the comedy album, such as a diagram of him playing Scrabble against an imaginary opponent. With, uh, as you can see here, I'm showing the book to everyone, uh, a board, a picture of a board where he continues to add stuff and, and shows you how good he is at Scrabble and, and, his, and his tact and everything. For example, his expert deployment of words such as felchings 
and uh, and penis socks. <laughs> now, uh, when when he changed penis socks to penis soccer, penis soxer actually, the, his imaginary opponent uh, contested that, and he said, "Oh no 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 no!" That they went to the OED, and uh, you'll find that penis soxer noun, a penis sock maker, a wearer of <laughs> penis socks, also penis soccer, playing soccer with your penis. See also pussy soccer. <laughs> so, you have uh, little gems like that. Also, uh, the opponent played shat. So, Michael said, oh, no, no, no. I got you on this. Pre-shat. To my utter shock and dismay, my opponent sees fit to challenge me yet again. This time, the word in question is pre-shat. Once again, the OED is broken out. Pre-shat. Adverb. The stuff that happened right before someone took a shit. <laughs> Used in a sentence. Bob shat. Pre-shat. He responded to a backlogged email, chomped on this lady's scooter, and finished that jigsaw puzzle he'd been working on for months of the kitten caught up in a ball of yarn. See, that's great. That's it is great, and he's brilliant, and I love him. But he made a horrible mistake with this book. So buy it used, or, or I don't know, buy it from Michael, and, and, just, you know, and just love him, because he needs to be loved. Because he's brilliant. He just made a bunch of mistakes when he wrote this. <laughs> so right now we're going to celebrate the mistakes that Mike uh, Showalter made as a as a young adult. He's going to give you the full setup, but what I want to do is I want to uh, to play an excerpt where he reads something that he wrote when he was in high school. I uh, my parents recently uh, moved uh, from Princeton, New Jersey, where I grew up, to Washington D.C. Um, to be grandparents near their grandchildren, and they asked me to come home and clean out some of some boxes of shit before they threw them away, and I found uh, this, which is my uh, high school uh, literary magazine, The Cheshire Cat. <laughs> and in my senior year, I was the editor-in-chief. So, I, I'm just saying that I was the editor-in-chief. So, it's kind of a pretty big honor, so. I, rem I wanted to just read some of this just because I can't even believe that, that I, this is me, but it was me. This is some of the introduction. I thought I'd read you some of my introduction. A youthful voice can be eloquent, musical, impassioned, and gracious. <laughs> Yet it can also be coarse, angry, vulgar, and acrimonious. <laughs> Which tells me I must have been studying for the SAT. <laughs> In this cat, we don't need to say the whole thing. We all know what we're talking about. <laughs> we have tried to represent the poems in a generic and simple graphic set. We have done this in emulation of the great poetry journals published by the Beats in the late 1950s. By the way, there is no we. It was just me. <laughs> I'm talking like I had a whole staff of people running around making deadlines. It's just me. We had to read each piece at least twice <laughs> before the quality and meaning hit us. <laughs> that is so impressive, Michael. God, I am really blown away by your diligence. We strongly recommend that you do the same. The cat this year lacks a certain happiness, and for this, we must apologize. It seems that the only grin you'll find in this book is the one that remains when the Cheshire cat's body has fully disappeared. <laughs> I'm a writer! Yes! 
All right, so I wrote this poem uh, and submitted it to the, to, the, to the cat, and it got in. Amazingly, it got in. So I wrote this poem, which I thought was like me being a hardcore poet, and I remember reading it to my mother, and I remembered that when I read it to her then, she laughed. <laughs> which I was very upset about at the time, but rereading it now, I think I maybe understand a little bit better. The name of the poem is The Apartment Building, and the setting seems to be a, 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 an urban environment, which is strange. I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, I did be, go to New York a few times to see Broadway shows, uh, such as Annie and the Tap Dance Kid. <laughs> the Apartment Building. There is a whore in my apartment building. <laughs> Her room smells like dirty sex. <laughs> I was a virgin when I wrote this, by the way. There is a man next door who reads the comics. His idea of a hero is a hand job and a beer. <laughs> there is a dog in that man's room. His name is Asshole, and he smells like piss. What are you laughing at, Mom? There is also a woman in that man's room. She cleans and gets fucked. I'm spilling my guts out here, Mom. Across the courtyard, a couple lives. He's an actor, she's an actress. They can't find work, so they steal from the market. <laughs> Suddenly we're in Marrakesh. <laughs> They're breaking the law. I smoked a reefer with them. <laughs> they didn't know shit about fuck. <laughs> I liked them. I used to be like that. A manuscript lies on a naked mattress that lies in the corner of my two-room apartment. It has a coffee stain on it. The publishers and editors have fucked it to hell. <laughs> a six-string guitar rests against a chair in my room. It has only three strings. <laughs> I'm strung out on dope. <laughs> Next door to me, a young man is writing pamphlets. They are anti-Semitic. <laughs> but for Christ's sake, that man is a Jew. <laughs> a guy lies on a flat surface smoking a cigarette. I lie dead in my bathtub. <laughs> the end. So we've, uh, you know, we've all been there. It sounds like something I would write. <laughs> we, we've, we've all written something like that at some point in our lives. I'm writing like that now. But it's the awareness. It's the awareness. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Mr. Funny Pants, it's full of hits and it's also full of misses. And if you read it in order, you will want to quit. But it is, <laughs> it, it, it is worth it. it, it there's, some, there's some great jokes therein. Like the difference between good penis and bad penis. That was anyway. a good one. But don't take my word for it. <laughs> Bad. That's everybody. That's that's Nerdy Show Book Club that's for the month. That's been uh, our wacky book club. But 
We're not done yet. No. Nope. No, there's more to do. Wait, is there? Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> just, just, a hair, just a hair of the dog. No, no, no Brandon, sit so back his down. His name sit is Axel down. and he smells like shit. Piss. <laughs> Whatever. Shit piss. Shit piss. <laughs> First of all, I want to bring everybody's attention to another cool Kickstarter. This is not book related, but it's cool and it's timely, so I thought I'd mention it. Is it raise money so Brandon doesn't have to work so he can play Mass Effect 3 and beat it? No, but you can start that one. I'm going to. Um, <laughs> this is a this is a message sent to us from a band called Deathlehem. Oh, Deathlehem! Yes, hail warriors of the nerdy show. We are Deathlehem, an RPG D and D fantasy nerd influenced metal band from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We dress like knights slash warriors on stage and play songs about slaying dragons and other epic beasts. We're a DIY metal band and are trying to raise the gold necessary <laughs> to quest slash tour to new realms and play our music for new audiences. And they're only looking for a, a modest $2,500 to do so. They're, they they just got to re repair their steed. <laughs> and uh, as of this recording, they're practically there at $1,968. They're cool. Let me, let, me, uh, let me just ask a question. Does anyone fail a Kickstarter? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I was like, well, this seems easy. Why don't I just do it for like, I want food. I want money for food Kickstarter. Well, Kickstarter also has rules on what qualifies for Oh, you mean I can't just do anything and be like, I like to eat lobster every day. Yep. I can't have a Kickstarter so I can eat lobster no. every day. <laughs> and, like, and like the finest duck meats. You can give it a try. <laughs> I'm sure that sure maybe something like Go Indie or Indiegogo or whatever the hell they call it. I like, want to eat there's the probably rare something African duck. <laughs> Kickstart that. So uh, we'll, have, we'll have a link to where you can do that. And those guys will <laughs> actually have a, a song off their new album featured in the upcoming episode Circle of Dungeons of and Doritos. Also... I want to talk about all the amazing donors we've got there. As you're listening to this, if this is just released, there are about days left in our first Nerdy Show TV dub support drive, which is where we're going to dub the television show of your choosing. I think I've done enough. Brandon and, and, and Mike, back in middle school, during the mid-90s, they got together and they did this fan dub thing before it was even popular, before it was even a thing, before there was really even an internet, much of one anyway. Our school, spent, bitch. Our school spent all of their budget money buying this one machine called the Toaster 2000 and, and some, some editing equipment with it, and the, we just did that with VHS tapes. There's a video up now, the first video of the Triforce Mike archives, where we post uh, random findings of Mike's life and times and hilarious things that we know you probably want to see. And uh, the first thing, Brandon shaking his head no, but I say yes. It is. I tried to watch it this like today. I watched the first sixty seconds and I was like done. Hey, I'm not got, finishing it. Brandon, in your defense, it's got a really rough start, but when it kicks in, no, no, the whole, I some, was skipping around. Hex and I have been quoting it. Yeah, it's really good. It's just a anyway, twist of the nipples and away we go. You must suppress your shame so that we can savor it. Brandon and Mike dubbed an episode of Masters of the Universe, and it's great, so you should check it out. And it's we're not. going to dub something now, in the in the present, and we're going to do an even better job because we're not in middle school. Weren't they <laughs> in the Forgotten Forest? Uh, wait, wait, what? I forgot. Oh, okay. Wait, huh? <laughs> you know what? I was trying to watch that again, and it went on for way too fucking long. And they just, I just kept reusing it, we kept reusing it. Uh, that was part hilarious. Of the, it's part of the charm. Now, the funniest thing was the Banana Man. That's pretty much it. <laughs> well, find out about all of this. Yeah. <laughs> If you watch it. But I want to give a shout out to some donors. First of all, we have a, a donor specifically for D&D. Kyle Sweeney says, Dungeons and Doritos is awesome. Chair's my favorite character, but Jamel is my favorite role player. Aw, yeah. I'm donating because the show is awesome and I want more. And you'll get more very soon. Very soon. Uh, and you won't believe your dick. <laughs> I don't he, believe He doesn't already. I never listened to that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Connor Benson donated to bring My Little Pony to an even $200 because he says it's what Mike would have wanted. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Blame the Wizards, pitching in to Friendship is Magic in loving memory of Triforce Mike, 
who is responsible for bronifying him. Aww. Aww. And Alien Bob's... Says, Alien Bob Z. Yeah, with is how Z. it's pronounced. Okay. He's, uh, he's actually a pretty cool dude. I met him when I went to the MC Chris show in back in July of 2007. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> uh, he says, I want to donate to My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. I'm a big fan of the show, and I think it'll be awesome for you guys to dub it. Hopefully this will win Brohoof. Now, the there's many, 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 many shows have been put forth to us to see um, what we're going to do. But right now, there's a war being waged between My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, Captain N, the Game Master, yeah. and Star Trek The Next Generation. Interestingly enough... <laughs> all... wait, 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 live action show. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Captain N's already dubbed so perfectly, I don't think we can make it any better. Two words, Megan, man. Oh. <laughs> Exena. I could be Picard. I will destroy you. So. But don't take my word for it. <laughs> Anti-Luke says, this money goes to support Captain N and the Game Master, and also to get the My Little Pony to bid more before I snipe them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, fair warning, guys. A Doombot has, requ- has requisitioned three of your human dollars for the mighty Captain N's crusade. <laughs> and uh, Nev the Deranged donated to Captain N. Again, there's been a lot of uh, dual Roosevelting or even triple Rooseveltings going on here. Pretty sweet. Uh, he said, this is my last $5, and I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so I better get some backup from the rest of the crew. But then, Viral Demon, who has almost, almost, not quite, but almost single-handedly been uh, pushing Star Trek The Next Generation ahead himself. He says, I shall start by saying that I enjoy My Little Pony as much as the next person. However, too long has the infestation of ponies gone unchecked. Too long have they been allowed to taint all that is wholesome. This is something that I cannot abide. Rise up, my fellow nerds. Rise up against the infection of our homelands. Rise up against the mutilation of all we hold dear. Stand with me that we might strike down this enemy at its source. The wallet. (laughs) Viral demon. P.S. I have nothing against Captain and the Game Master. (laughs) And also, uh, uh, very recently, as of this recording, Gundam King also donated to My Little Pony. So far, this has been a very, very successful support drive, and we thank you guys so much. It's the only way we can continue to exist and deliver you fine, dick-filled programming such as this. So now, we're actually going to, because we, we opened the topic up actually on the Nerdy Show forums as to what format we wanted to do with this episode and considering the fact that everyone was like well do whatever you want we're kind of doing both so (laughs) we're going to be not only reading our own books but there's also a book we're going to actually have like an actual book club we're going to read a book in a month together together attemptedly attemptedly yeah what if we each what if we each read just like a separate chapter that way collectively (laughs) we've all read the one book that's a brilliant idea. And that way we won't know what's going to happen. We'll have to see. And it'll make no sense to people that are reading half, just the, like chapter 37. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah, I don't even know who these guys the are. Best plan. Since we, uh, we spoke to uh, Singularity and Co. about uh, science fiction, I'm picking the first book. And I actually haven't read this book yet. However, I have heard that it's good. It's called Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Uh, that's, that's actually the prequel for um, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I've heard. I don't know. I haven't read it. They lost the war, and now they have no country. <laughs> anyway, this is the, this is the book that we're going to read. It's only it's only like three hundred pages, so it's not that it's not that long. 
But basically, the way the premise of this story is that basically these uh, you know people have grown up on Earth, and when you turn sixty five, you sign this declaration that you're going to join the Colonial Defense Force. And when you turn seventy five, you will yeah. So when you're sixty five, you sign the paper that says you're going to join the Colonial Defense Force when you turn seventy five. When you turn seventy five, you then become part of this army that you then fight basically for humanity against the the forces of the galaxy and aliens and etc and basically if you survive you will then be able to have a new life on a new colony and basically relive life all over again so they're basically they're taking all these people who have gained experience over their entire lives as opposed to people who are going to war in their 20s when they barely have lived at all these people know how to live they're smarter they're wiser and they are now fighting the war but so how, are, do they, are they in wheelchairs when they're fighting do they i have- don't know there's some sort of twist i i guess they give them <laughs> i don't know they, they've got to like do some sort of like body thing or like there's aren't like you know like there's some sort of like animatronics or something i don't know but there's got to be something i mean they're not going to have like you know old enfebled people I mean, that's fight a, a, but the twist they're is they're all, all dead <laughs> so it's reverse ender's game it's reverse ender's game <laughs> get off my western front yes yeah, i mean it's very pro gay <laughs> <laughs> but if if it's as good as ender's game then it's probably good so i heard it's actually a really really fun 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 book so you can discuss this uh, upcoming book on the nerdy show forums we'll have a link to it on this episode's page Let's, uh, which no. leads us to our closing segment which is an excerpt from a, a film adaptation and luke i i hear you've got something really great picked out for us i have something really weird anyway it is the the novelization of the movie Existence, which is a cronenberg <laughs> movie i love which that means movie. it's bizarre and violent Cap, you have not seen this movie yet, right? I have not. I've seen a Fucking few Cronenbergs, but awesome. not this one. I mean, I like it. I don't know if it's good, but I like it. <laughs> well, you Man, know, I like a lot of things that people but hey, don't. So. If you want to see Peter Weller have anal sex with a typewriter, you should see Naked Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Naked <laughs> Lunch. That's L-U-N. Oh. Do we need any, any lead into this existence uh, excerpt? or? Uh, I think- I think you do, although I'm not really sure how much it's going to help. Um, it's, the, the movie itself is about a future where people play video games by plugging into a bioport, and that, that puts them into a virtual reality. And the story is about – Brandon, you can correct me on the pronunciation of this because I can't remember. Uh, uh, Ted Peichel, who is J- Jude Law in the movie, and yes, Jennifer I, I Jason Lee. I cannot huh? correct you. Sorry. You, you can't? Damn. No. Who is Allegra Geller? <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee plays Allegra Geller, and who is a, uh, a a game designer, and they are inside of her game Existence. They have been sent by playing through the plot. They were hinted that they need to go to a Chinese restaurant, and this is one. Of, this is what happens there. It's one of the more famous scenes from the movie. Paykel and Geller stared at the dishes. Each one contained an assortment of cooked reptiles and amphibians, frogs with bamboo shoots, deep-fried lizards and sesame seeds, a huge toad set upright amidst stuffed mushrooms with a couple of pieces of corn pushed into his eye sockets, a soup thick with noodles and boiled newts, slices of roast snake with oyster sauce. The lazy Susan slowly drifted round and round, bearing this bizarre but strangely beautiful feast before them. My God, Geller said, you take the words right out of my mouth. Sick. A single saucer-shaped bowl had a compartment to itself, and as it moved on toward Geller, Paykel pointed it out. Recognize a friend, he said. Geller took a closer look. It was the two-headed salamander that had ridden on the truck with them from the gas station. Paykel (laughs) gulped. 
<laughs> Two heads and six legs, he said. I think I've lost my appetite. The waiter was still hovering beside their table. Not hungry anymore, he said. Great shame, great pity. Mutant reptiles and amphibians provide new and previously unimagined taste sensations. Secret oriental recipes. Well, yeah, Geller said. Thanks, but no thanks. No offense, mind. Shall I clear all this away? The waiter said. Pykel caught the glimmer of expression that had passed over Geller's face. She was indicating, this is the special. This is something special. A game character told us to choose it. No, it looks terrific, Pykel said decisively. He glanced back at Geller, who was nodding slowly. Thank you, we're happy. Very good, the waiter replied. Enjoy. This time he walked away, holding his tray at his side. Pykel <laughs> looked thoughtfully at the array of animals lying before him, then reached out and selected the toad with the mushrooms. He scooped the toad onto his plate, but returned the mushrooms to the lazy Susan. With precise movements, he began breaking the toad's muscular limbs off and stripping away the meat. Pykel, what are you doing? I don't know. He'd bitten into the side of the toad, feeling the flesh spreading as his jaw clamped down on it, and the bones of the animal skeleton breaking and separating, his mouth filled with the oily, meaty flavor of meat. I find it disgusting, but I can't help myself. That's great, Geller wrinkled her, no her nose in disdain at him. You can't help yourself. This isn't my choice, he said with his mouth full. He swallowed, then took another bite. This time he took a leg. After he'd chewed on it a few times, he turned the limb around with his fingers, then stripped the soft meat from the bone by pulling against his teeth. He looked up from what he was doing. He had now dismembered the toad, with many of its largest bones lying on the plate. He set to work on the deep-fried lizard, scraping off the sesame seeds, pulling away the stringy flesh, and laying out the tiny bones on his plate. Everything was stir-fried to, to perfection. The meat fell neatly from his bones. Heichel's fingers were slobby, and gobbets of melted fat were dripping from the ends. As before, when he'd been sitting by the conveyor belt, his hands carried on their work of their own volition. I'm interested in what you're doing, Geller said when he seemed to be flagging. Interested? Pykel said, glancing down with horror at what he was doing. You think this is interesting? Yeah, it's fascinating to watch, Geller said. It's a genuine game urge, obviously something your game character, Larry Ashen, was born to do and is good at. Don't fight it. Actually, <laughs> I did start out by fighting it, but it didn't do me any good, so I'm just rolling with it for the moment. As he spoke, his hands were snapping one of the toad's long thigh bones and twirling, twisting a strip of frog sinew around it to form an angled piece. He and Geller watched with horrid fascination as his hands quickly pushed all the various pieces together, slotting them in with shreds of skin, gristle, and sinews to hold them in place, and using the amphibian's own joints to form swivels and cogs and other moving parts. The grotesquely twinned neck bone of the six-legged salamander was the last piece to be put into place. It seated itself neatly with a distinct click, and as Pykel held up the assembly, it was clear that the necks had formed the mechanism of a trigger. He was holding a cadaver gun almost identical to the one that had been used in the assassination attempt at the church. <laughs> oh, that's a good Wow. End. That yeah. and end. I oh remember that scene in the movie. It was great. It was I can keep going to when he takes his bridge out, loads it into the gun, and then shoots the he Chinese right waiter. He teeth as bullets. Oh wow! Oh, I or I can I can skip forward to the part where the where he's, well, it's just it's a lot yeah. of description. Uh, of that was that was beautiful. Again. I gotta ask though that that was actually like the details were pretty fascinating. Does the movie even compare to that level of like? No, it's just bizarre shit happening, as I recall. Yeah, the movie's <laughs> but really yeah, but this is like loving detail. It's kind of great. That's good. That's what I look for in a film adaptation, really. So, uh, so that's cool. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us for this first full-length episode of Nerdy Show Book Club. I guess it's really, it's it's a double-length debut. Look forward to more of these every month. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. Bye, I'm Brandon. Colin. Luke. 
And to take us out is a song. Uh, I know that we've been doing a lot of reading Rainbow, but we won't be doing it as much for all of the episodes. We are just going to do it for this one because we just happen to like reading Rainbow for this first one. Anyway, the song that's going to take us out is this really great remix that I found by B. Quinn Live. And it's a remix of the Reading Rainbow song. And it's really sweet. So enjoy.
you for listening to the Nerdy Show Book Club. The uh, Nerdy Show Book Club is brought to you by a comic shop, not a palooza, play and trade video, and listeners like yourselves. If you enjoyed what you heard, support Nerdy Show by telling a friend, picking up some merch at the Nerdy Store, or support us with your hard-earned pounds and receive exclusive perks. For more episodes of Nerdy Show Book Club, Nerdy Show Dungeons and Dritos, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, please visit nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes Store. Follow us on Facebook or Tumblr or Twitter or at Nerdy Show. And get social with other Nerdy Show nerds at nerdyshow.com slash forums. But uh, don't take our word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Can we, like... Ram that into the ground. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's see how many times we can do that in a sentence. Oh. So I am. Don't reading. make the sound. I'm adding the sound. Damn it. But I thought. God damn it! Hex. No hex. Bad. Just gotta edit it. Colin works so hard to put food on your table, and you make it so difficult for him. Yes, I do. Colin so much. First book, uh, wait, hold on, I'm gonna edit this out, give me just a second. <laughs> Say whatever you want since you're editing it. I hate you so much, Colin. Exactly. Wheel you're time. Good fish. You know, not all of us have a computer in front of us to look things up. I'm gonna kill you, Colin, but don't take my word for it. But um bump. Did you add that in the end of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so after songs finish playing. Uh, Hi, I'm Colin. So now we're, uh, we're going to talk on, about you gotta, this. You got to do it again. Hex was talking. Uh, God damn it, Hex. <laughs> and now my dog is barking. I'm going to throttle her. Wait, what? Oh, yeah? <laughs> what? I'm going to throttle her. But don't take our word for it. No, you'll hear the screams. <sighs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, Colin throttling his dog. If you can, if you want to turn up the volume on that, I don't know. The problem is, is that she just barks at the house across the street wow. because she hates the dog that lives there. So she just stares out the window and barks at the house. And she simmers all day. <laughs> just put her in the oven. Okay. <laughs> you don't have Rocky! to. She's a wiener dog. She'll she'll keep. Hey! Can we keep this, please? For something? I don't know. I hope you're recording. Hey! So I didn't stop. Shut <laughs> your dog mouth! Shut your dog wiener mouth! <laughs> He's not saying that because she's a wiener dog. He's saying that because, <laughs> as anything living with Colin is, it has a wiener mouth. <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> Anyway, I was only over right. there for a few hours, and I had to brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should make a catalog. Do you want... I would make a... <laughs> I should make a catalog of my... Samples. Of my reproductions, and I'll have them assorted, and I'll give, I'll give you a color swatch. <laughs> Please use the color swatch to find the best reproductive sample to fit your needs.